a pretty interesting journey. I'm sure your journey's been interesting too. When I started this journey, I, I, well, let, let, me, let, me, let me just say this. Um, I think it was Mark Twain that made the statement, it's not the things that you don't know that you got to worry about, it's the things that you do know that just aren't so. You ever, you ever heard that before? And when I started off, you know, and I got saved as a teenager, and then it was, I went to church a little bit, and then I started going to a, a denomination, and, and it's, I mean, rightfully so, the denominations that you're really involved in really, I mean, they, we talked about Jesus, and we did talk about grace, but that was more for salvation. And then the rest of it, you just kind of get the road map that they kind of they give you. So you just kind of pick up some, you pick up some things that you try to work with and make work in your Christian experience. And after a while, you, you find that it just doesn't work. And you have, to, you have to face the music. And you realize, man, why have I been trying to do this? Or, or why am I trying to, as Watchman Nee would say, the... You get frustrated. You get frustrated because you're trying to enter a room that you're already in, and things like, you know, righteousness. You know, you find that it's a gift, and you find that it's it's been in Scripture the whole time that way. Uh, you find that, uh, you know, that a lot of things that you're working trying to do has already been done for you, and it's been because of Christ. And I remember a verse I used to quote all the time: Ephesians chapter chapter two, verses eight and nine. For by grace. Are you saved through faith? It's a what? It's a gift of God, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. Now, as much as I appreciated that verse way back then, it, it, it is nothing like it is now. And I say that because the, you know, we are or we are trying to be here a grace church and what i mean a grace church is that we are trying to keep the message of the gospel jesus and him alone and i will say this i i believe the greatest challenge churches are facing today has nothing to do with politics i mean Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, it has nothing to do with the political climate. I think the greatest challenge the church has today is keeping it Jesus. That is the greatest challenge. And that will be our greatest challenge. It will. We are going to be constantly challenged in saying, well, is Jesus enough? And you look at the you look at the 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 climate that it is today. You you have to ask yourself: Is Jesus enough? Is he the waymaker? I mean, if you look at the news, you're thinking, "Okay, God, all right, anytime. Show us the way here. What's what's about to happen? I don't know. We're just sitting there waiting for the. You know, something's gonna happen here soon. What's what 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 you got cooking back here? We'd love to know." You know what I mean? And uh, it's, there are times that it, it, it looks and then it even feels kind of bleak that God doesn't know what he's doing, but God does. And I think we are going to see some amazing things transpire the way we look in the past. We've seen God do some amazing things, and I'm looking forward to that. 
But the one thing that does not change is the powerful truths of the Word of God. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, Galatians chapter 5. And Paul, I think it's interesting because Paul, I think, Paul was combating then something I think the church is kind of in a position now. In Paul's travels, he was, um, you got to forgive me, I kind of, I've been taking antihistamines and stuff, and I've had a bad cough, and I just took my final antibiotic pill and uh, taking uh, Mucinex, and man, it just dries your face out. So, so anyway, bear with me. So Paul, we know Paul in his ministry as he was traveling and preaching the gospel and establishing churches, and we know Galatia was one of those churches, and we know that when he left there, it was about grace. It was salvation by grace through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's how he left them. But we find that at some point, others had come in and said, oh, oh, oh hold on now. Hold on. It's not, it's not just about grace. You, gotta, you can't forget about the old covenant. You can't forget about some of the old laws, some of the old things that we need to be able to institute uh, and we need to get back into the mix. It's, it's not just about grace. It's also about some of these items of well. So what we find now is the message of the gospel ends up getting corrupted. Now we have a hybrid message of the gospel. And I believe that's what we find today in most Christianity or churchianity today is you find some hybrid message of it's not just Jesus, it's a little of something else. Now, we can say that it's law, but in my situation, it wasn't just about law. It was just about some distinctives of my denomination that I adopted as my own, and uh, I was trying to fit into those distinctives and trying to make those things work, and what it was, what it was doing, it was hindering my walk. It was, it was limiting my understanding and be able to live out the way God made me to be, and we're finding the very same thing. So when Paul, in Galatians chapter 5... And this, is, this will be review here for probably about 10 minutes, if you'll bear with me. <clears throat> so, Paul starts off in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again into the yoke of bondage. Paul had to remind the church of Galatia, said, Look, you don't need to forget. Matter of fact, you need to make a stand on the fact that it's just Jesus. You need to make a stand on the fact that it's just him alone. I know that you've heard. I know that others have come in. I like what Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 2. He says, look, my fear is that like the serpent beguiled Eve, others are going to come in and, and remove you from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And that is exactly what was happening here. Others were coming in. And, uh, you know, you, look, you might can look back on your own experience when you just got saved and, and you're excited. And some, somebody came to you and said, hey, that's great that you're saved and all. But you know what? You, you realize you've you got to do this too. And you realize you've got to add this too. And you realize you're not right with God unless you whatever it is. Anybody ever heard that before, right with God? You know what I mean? Man, I haven't said that in a while that it, it, it you know, I, I forgot how much I remember hearing that. 
You know what I mean? Well, you ain't right with God. Well, they ain't right with God. Well, I don't think I'm right with God. Well, who is right with God? You know what I mean? And then it's, you, before you know it, everybody's confused. Nobody's really there. We know there's a there, but nobody knows if anybody's really there. And you get all this confusion that comes along with it. Well, that's what we find going on here in Galatia. And Paul is trying his best to sort that out. And he starts with telling them to make a stand. To make a stand on the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Now we said this is <clears throat> Paul was telling the church to make a stand on something that was not really popular at that time. And I believe it's not popular today. But uh, anyway, uh, let, me, let me go on to a couple points here. The first thing was this, that liberty and freedom came by Christ. Liberty and freedom came by Christ. Over the years, the subject of liberty and freedom is not clearly understood and taught. And in most cases, freedom is always used in the context of sin or our relationship with sin. Most of the time, it's, it's a drug addict that's been dealing with uh, or an alcoholic or somebody that's crippled with addiction. Those are the ones uh, seeking freedom. But I, may I remind you, me as being an associate pastor in a church, I felt just as crippled up and without freedom. And it's more than just sin. It's more than just being free uh, from the bondage of sin. It's a, a freedom is something Christ comes and brings the individual, and that's all of us, whether it be just uh, the, uh, the chains of addiction. Also, what was the bondage Paul was referring to? That's another question. Galatians chapter 5, we'll read down the verse, verse 9. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the what? The whole law, right? The whole thing. You know what they say, there's nothing broke more than the Ten Commandments, right? You know what I mean? Paul reminds them, look, if you're going to start into this thing, if your righteousness is going to come by the law, then you have to keep the whole thing. Not just part of it, not just some of it. You are a debtor to do the whole law. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from what? Grace. Now, what, what is that? That is an attitude about, a, a wrong attitude about what law is supposed to be doing for you. Had nothing to do with sin, by the way. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And then he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, here, here what, what, what does he mean by that? What he was saying is, and I guess to paraphrase it, put it very simple, that your, your salvation is by grace and grace alone. And your experience, your, your walk in Christ is by grace and grace alone. It's not a little bit of grace, and, or it's not a lot of grace and a little bit of law. It is about Christ and Him alone. Hence, that's why we have the name pure grace. Because we put a premium on the idea that in your Christian experience, it's about grace and grace alone. 
And Paul is warning about the idea of trying to go back to Moses, go back to the old covenant, or saying, well, it's grace for salvation, but no, now it's law for living, and now i got to have a little bit of this and a little bit of this, because without being within arm's reach of law, I'm not going to know how to behave myself. Growing in grace is not learning and living by law, but learning to live by and walk in the Spirit. So that leads me to the next half. As we continue on, we have to ask questions that hopefully will get answered as we finish the chapter. Number one, why is Paul concerned with the Galatians trying to live by law? What was the big deal? And I think sometimes if you say, well, I mean, law does... Society needs law because law will, in essence, generate a level of morality. And to that, I do say, yes, you're right. It will. But Jesus didn't come just to bring moral living. Jesus come to bring miraculous living. And if morality was the ultimate key to what God was wanting to achieve on this earth or what this earth needed, he would have left it with law. If you go to Hebrews, you find the author of Hebrews more or less says this very thing. He says, man, if the old covenant could have got the job done, there would have been no need for the new covenant, which is in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but our society right now needs a whole lot more than just another level of morality. We need something miraculous. We need for the world to understand that the miracle work of the gospel is still at work and is still at play. And we need men not just to behave better, but to be better because of a product of salvation. Does being free from law mean behavior does not matter? Or also, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? So number one, why is Paul concerned with the Galatians trying to live by law? Paul spent a lot of time teaching believers in regards to having a proper view and understanding of law. But what was the big deal? What was actually the big deal? We would consider that all the teaching that Paul did on the subject means that it's important for us to understand as well. Having that proper view and that proper context of what law is all about, what law can do and what law will not do, what was law's purpose and what purpose does it serve now on this side of the cross. Paul spent a lot of time, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, Hebrews, you name it. He spent a lot, I don't know if he wrote Hebrews, but that's up for debate. But anyway, it's obvious through Paul's teaching that growth and grace means having a proper understanding of law. And you cannot have, you cannot have, uh, you cannot grow in grace without having a proper view of what law is and what it does. Next, does being free from law mean behavior does not matter? I hear this a lot. I hear it a lot. The fact that this question always comes up in law's conversations is proof that we desperately need what Paul was teaching on this. The greater question is with this. Why do we feel that behavior is only regulated and delegated by law? Why? Why is that? Look at Romans chapter 7. Paul talks about it here in Romans. And Paul is making a very important point about the newness of what Christianity is. And law's place in all this. 
And now, granted this, so, well, man, I mean, I mean, law is not all that bad. We're not talking about law being bad or good. We're talking about the idea of the newness of our Christian experience. It's understanding the very place of it. If God had a choice between bringing his spirit or bringing a law or giving society a law or giving society Jesus, what, what was God's attempt? What did God want us to be able to have? He wanted us to have Jesus. And Paul's having to go through and he's having to make a, a, a separation here. Look what he says in Romans 7. We're looking at verse 4 through 7. Wherefore, my brethren, ye were also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein you were held, that we should serve in what? Newness of spirit and not oldness of the what? Of the letter. That's what we're talking about. The newness of the spirit. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law has said, thou shalt not covet. What is Paul saying in these verses? Number one was, we are dead to the law. Number two, law did not help produce better behavior or authentic behavior. Next, we are delivered from the law, he says. Now, all this is the introduction of Christ to us means that our relationship with law is changing. And these are some of those changes. He also says the spirit is a new way to live. Or should I say this is actually the real source of life. The law teaches me sin, but it does not teach me Jesus. That's the best law taught you was sin. But it did not teach you, it did not teach you love. For example, Valentine's Day is tomorrow. I could tell my wife, "Hun, I just want you to know because the fact that I have not killed you, I love you." <laughs> right? I mean, hey, I, I'm obeying the commandment, right? Right? Hey, that that should be enough, right there. And she could say the other other ways, you know what I mean? Hey, I've, I've not killed you, so I guess we're even. But the reality is, law is not it's not teaching love. Just because you don't steal from your neighbor doesn't mean you're loving your neighbor. Just because you don't covet your neighbor's wife doesn't mean you're loving your neighbor. You see. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what it does. Now Galatians 5 verses 13 through 16. Let's read these. For brethren... You have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now here we're getting to the practicalities of this, how it affects us. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And we've heard that before, haven't we? He says in verse 15, but if you bite, and I want you to, 
I want you to really see this, what, what he's saying here. I want you to kind of picture this. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17 says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the what? Law. That, well, I'll get into that here in just a minute. But anyway, he says, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. It is interesting when sin or flesh is described, it's always described, it's, it's, it's always described in, a, in a negative connotation. When we talk about flesh, I, I, there was a song I'd sing with, with kids, you know what I mean? Uh, walk, walk, walk the Bible way, you know what I mean? Smoking, drinking, fist fighting, dirty talking. And although that is flesh, although that is flesh, we understand that the flesh is more than just that. It's more than just the negative. It's more than just the ugly, icky flesh. Flesh can be very polished. Flesh can be very motivated. Flesh can be very balanced. Flesh can look very clean. Flesh can look very religious. You know what I mean? Flesh can be very successful, can it? And it still be flesh, you see. Because we understand flesh is more than just the icky flesh. It can be very, it can be very polished looking, very clean looking. Each of us have our flesh pattern that we're used to traveling on. Each of us have one. Every one of us do. I have one. It's that pattern of living I'm used to going back to to get my needs met. They're well-traveled, well-worn pathways in our walk that we're used to going on, and we know that we don't really need to continue on on these paths, you see. A flesh pattern. Look at verse 15. Remember he says, or let me say this, flesh always relies on an external source. In verse 15, notice what he says there. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed lest you're consumed of one another. Why is that? Because flesh is always dependent on an external source to get its needs met. And we're seeing that in society today. We're seeing that trying to get life from others. And just trying, relying on others to get your needs met. Feasting on each other. Social media is no example. In our society, we have those. And it's not just the lost. It's, it's even believers. Instead of going to the very source of life, which is Jesus Christ within us. Trying to get our needs met by... Uh, biting and devouring one another, you see. It's important to note, Paul never says, and this is very important, that the new nature and the old nature are not battling with each other. Notice what he says in verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, why is that important? Because that goes back to one of those things that 
in, in Christian circles we're still confused about. We still, some still think that they have an old sin nature that's still well and alive. And uh, you've heard the old saying, well, there's a black dog and a white dog, and the dog you feed the most is going to be the one. And that's, that sounds really interesting, don't it? But that's not Bible. That's not true. Paul made it very clear that the old nature is dead. It had to be crucified. It's like the idea of giving my life to God. We, you were lost, you gave your life to God, and God's like, what am, what am I going to do with that? There ain't nothing I can do with that. But kill it, and I'm going to give you new life. There you go. Now you can succeed. And he had to kill the old nature. He was crucified. Now, Galatians 5, 17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, let me say this. If we still have a sin nature, then, when, then we naturally want to sin, and therefore the spirit is interrupting what we want to do, and that is sin. But the truth is, the old nature is dead, and, theref and therefore the flesh is trying to interrupt what we naturally want to do, and that is love and serve. Let me say that one more time. If we still have a sin nature, then we naturally want to sin, and therefore the spirit is interrupting what we think we want to do, and that is sin. But the truth is the old nature is dead, and therefore the flesh is trying to interrupt what we naturally want to do, and that is love and serve. So what is the solution? Verse 16, this I say, then walk in the spirit, and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 18, baffled me for years until, until one, the spirit kind of gave me revelation, and that is, he says in verse 18, but if we be led of the spirit... You were not under the law. It baffled me for a long time. And the only reason it did was because it was one of those things that I thought was true that just wasn't so. And that was the idea that I'm still under law. That my Christian experience is still me trying to learn and live out some form of law in my, my experience. And the whole time, the key to it all was just walk in the Spirit. And the law is not even a variable in that whatsoever. For so long in my Christian experience, I thought good behavior was a product of learning and trying to live out a balanced portion of law. Paul is not just concerned about behavior, but the source in which behavior is birthed. That's important. True, authentic behavior is a product of internal desire, not external duty. Now, if you do a little bit of history and go back into the Old Covenant, Ecclesiastes, therefore, this is the whole duty of man, right? To fear God and what? Keep his commandments. There's a problem with that, though, now. A big problem. Huge problem. It's called the finished work of Christ. And we're now looking, we're living on this side of the cross. And if you think the key to your Christianity is about just fear God 
and keep his commandments. And if you think Christianity is about somehow implementing or living out some kind of duty, man, I've got a surprise for you. Guess what it's like to now serve out of pure desire. To know that you want to love and you want to serve. And the only thing standing in the way of that is maybe some old pattern, some old flesh that wants to stop from you just overflowing the very love that God has given you on to other people. To know for what it's like to not have to have an external source to live from. That you have a well that never runs dry. That's what it's about. True authentic behavior is a product of internal desire and not an external duty. We've left that behind. We have a new way. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Although the answer to this question is better experienced than answered, we can shed some light on the topic. Romans 7, 6, he says, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we are held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Walking in the Spirit is a new way. It is not compared to the old way. You will find that law has a spirit of its own. Now, I will say this. Once you come to understand grace, and you try to go to a church where it's not just grace... It's a little bit of Jesus this Sunday and then a little bit of Moses this Sunday and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You, you can't settle anymore. You can pick up on the spirit of law immediately. I mean, it's, it's just there. Once you get that appetite for grace, it's, you don't want anything else. And anything else would be for you to settle something that goes beyond who you know because it's a part of you. It's a part of your DNA. It's part of your new creation. It's part. It's not. It, it just transcends how many people are here. It transcends how comfortable the chairs are, or how perfect the music is, or how many people have volunteered into the nursery, or how great the programs are, or how manicured the grass is, or how well the greeters are. Because this, at the end of the day, I can compromise on all those things, but I cannot compromise on grace. I have to have this. It's a part of who I am. And you sense and you know the spirit of law is very real. And it's also very intoxicating. Until one day grace comes and slaps you and says, man, what are you doing? Start living on this side of the cross. This is why Paul is concerned with believers understanding and having a proper view of law. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, he says, there is no law. Because new Christianity, new covenant Christianity isn't a command to you to be these things. It's to be holy, for I am holy. Let these things out. Stop trying to not let them out. Let these fruits be a part of you. True, authentic love and service can only be produced by the Spirit of God and walking in the newness of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful love. And Father, I just pray 
that we as a church can come to understand the uniqueness of what we have here together as a group. So many need to have the freedom that you offer. So many need this very truth of grace. There's so many that are hurting just from the evils of this world. There's many that are hurting just from what religion has done. But Lord, you are the salve. You are the healer. You are the way maker. You are the promise keeper. And Father, I pray that we can appreciate the very promises we know to be true that you've given us. And Lord, help us. Help the very love that we have as individuals overflow and keep overflowing and keep overflowing. And may we be able to be that light in this world that's so desperately needed. And Lord, we thank you so much for what we have here. And Father, may we just continue to allow Jesus 100% be exactly what we need, the solution. And Father, we thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.